going to start out with a story. Do you guys have any moments of glory, personal glory, that you can recall? And it doesn't have to be like, you know, someone's going to do the wave for you, although that's probably really cool. I don't know if anyone's had that opportunity. So when I think of one of my moments of personal glory, I, I, was a, I played some sports. I was not a standout athlete, uh, but I enjoyed sports, and the sport that I played more than others was soccer. And one of the moments, if I were to be asked that question, that sticks in my head indelibly, if, like a moment of glory at the time, was on a traveling soccer team. And uh, if you play traveling soccer like some of my nephews and niece do, you're welcome for getting that program going. I was part of the early days for that, so I'm glad that you get to enjoy that. We raised, I can't tell you how many hundreds of candy bars I sold door-to-door trying to pay for coaches and refs and all that sort of thing. Um, But this was, I think, like my last year or so doing traveling soccer. And to be honest, our team could never quite get over the hump of winning tournaments. We could beat some of the best teams once in a while. Um, We could beat a lot of the teams often, but we could never quite put it all together in one tournament. Uh, We were in Lakeville, Minnesota, uh, and we had won our round robin games somehow, all of them, and we were actually in a championship game, which maybe had happened before. I can't remember. Uh, we were down, I think, two to one. Of course, this is a long time ago, so the details might be a little fuzzy, but I do know that the end result is correct. And then a thunderstorm rolled in, in the distance. And, and if you, you might not know this, but if you play soccer, if there's lightning that shows, that's like, shh, lights out, turn it off, we got to wait for this to pass, too much of a risk. So we delayed the game. This was probably, a, I think... If I remember, it would have been a Sunday, because usually that's when championship games are played, Friday, maybe night, or Saturday all day, and then the games are, championships are on Sunday. And so we had to wait, we all found shelter, and the rain was going and going and going, and I was, we were all sort of like, are we really going to like lose because we can't finish the game? That would be just like us. <laughs> well, they didn't. The rain passed through, they let us go back on the field. And here's part of why it was glorious, because there was like this much water or this much water in certain places on the field. So when you would like slide, it's kind of like slip and slide. Just imagine a huge wave of water. You know, you don't have to even take the ball away. Just get the water wave going. It might take the ball away from the other guy. Just, you can imagine the color of our uniforms and our bodies at the end of that was just covered in mud. It was July, so it was warm. Junior July, I'm sure. Um, that's when we played our traveling soccer. And I, I don't remember this specifically, but if I were going to put this into a movie, there definitely would be like a big rainbow as the storm moves away. I don't remember that. There could have been one because the sun did come back out. We came back and we won 3-2 to two in the last 15, 20 minutes of the game. We'll just say it was 15, 20 minutes of the game because that's a better movie. Um, and I held on to that as really my only championship trophy team for a really long time. And I don't remember where, how, when I stopped 
uh, hanging on to that. But when I think about my glory days, that's what I think of. That one tournament we won that one time in Lakeville in that rainstorm, which the experience was glorious anyways. It, of course, have been disappointing if we lost, but it was all the more glorious because of that. This morning, we're talking about our Father's glory. And this is getting to the end of our series on the Lord's Prayer. Next week, we'll wrap up um, with a sermon on the last word, amen. That'll be last, next week. So be it. But this week, we're looking at, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This line actually, if, if you have your Bible open, if I open up my Bible to Matthew chapter 6, which is where this is found. It's also found in Luke 11. My, my prayer actually ends, and do not bring us tempta- into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But then there's a couple little notes, and if you look down at the bottom of your Bible, it says, some later manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so this, this benediction is probably, if we're honest, it wasn't in the very earliest manuscripts. It probably was added. And so why would we preach on it? Um, well, it, it, we don't have to preach on it because the prayer is good without it. But when you say the Lord's Prayer, you always say this. Because most of us said the Lord's Prayer based on probably the King James Version or something older, which did include this part. And here's why we're going to include it. Because every aspect of that's expressed on here is actually expressed many other times throughout Scripture. So here's a couple. Romans 11:36. To him be the glory forever. Uh, that's Paul writing. Philippians 4:20 says, "Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen." First Timothy 1:17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jude one twenty five to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. And Revelation 7.12, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so we can back up this benediction that at the end of the prayer, which actually is a great summary and reflection upon what has already been said in the Lord's Prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. And you can pray that without any twinge in your conscience that, it was, that I, maybe I shouldn't pray it because it wasn't in the very oldest manuscripts. So let's look at for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For yours is the kingdom, that first part of the phrase, I can't help but recall really several of the earlier phrases that we covered in this prayer. Our Father... In heaven, who we're talking to, your kingdom come, your will be done, lead us not into temptation. Talking about the kingdom and God giving, really recognizing that his is the kingdom, begs the question, is Jesus really on the throne for me in every area of my life? Is his really the kingdom? Can I say that really honestly? We've already asked it once of ourselves if we pray through this prayer meditatively. But can I really end with saying, yes, God, yours is the kingdom. In that message on your kingdom come, your will be done, I reference Romans 12.1, which says, therefore, brothers and sisters, 
In view of God's mercies, or the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship, your reasonable act of worship. And so I'll ask it again, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? Well, the problem is that a living sacrifice can crawl off the altar whenever it wants. If we, were, if we were doing Old Testament blood sacrifices, once you sacrifice that animal, it's not moving. But if we're a living sacrifice, it's a choice that we can make or not make day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. And so it does require us to regularly, often, consciously, probably, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice in order to live that out. In 1999, I was at a conference over Christmas break, and we were challenged as college students, a Christian conference, I don't know, there's a couple hundreds, maybe thousands, I can't remember how many people are actually at this conference, it's probably over a thousand, um, we were challenged to make something, um, this will date me, uh, we were challenged to make a millennial pledge, because we were there in December of 1999, and it was about to become the year 2000, half the world or our country thought, you know, everything might fall apart because of all these computer number changes. You're enough younger than me, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, that's fine. But we were challenged to make, consider two options. Is that in the, kind of in response to the potential chaos, really in response to Romans 12 is, would we consider, as we head into a new millennium, would we consider making Choice number one, which is that I would pledge my life to Christ in a lifetime of doing what he asks, going where he directs, and living as a sacrifice for Jesus. In other words, well, I'm determined that today from here on forward, I'm going to live Romans 12, 1 out and come back to it whenever I stop. That was the first challenge. And the second challenge, which wasn't for everybody, that one could be for everybody, the second challenge was what I consider pledging a year of my life to do full-time Christian missionary service before the end of 2000 or have a plan to do so. So I made that pledge. I actually did both of them. And that started my trajectory and to probably why I'm even here this morning um, in, on staff at Cottonwood. I've been here for over 22 years. But the question that I have for you is, does surrender to God's sovereignty, to God's rule, reflect my posture toward God. Uh, We have the little blue booklets out there. I touched on My Heart's Christ Home at the end of that book. It's a little illustration. If you haven't had a chance to read it, go ahead and pick one up about how our lives are kind of like a house and each room represents different parts of our lives and Jesus actually wants to be invited to every part and actually at the end, the author says, you know what would work better is if I would just sign the deed of the house over to you, Jesus, and allow you to be the owner, rather than me, the owner, and inviting you in. And that's what he does. And that's sort of a Romans 12-1 decision. There is, we're talking about our Father's glory this morning, and friends, there is glory in God's kingdom. And if God's king, there's glory in him ruling rightfully over my life. And there's glory in me surrendering, which is submitting to his rule over my life, who also is my daddy in heaven, which might make it easier to make that decision. 
recognize that he regards us as his children. I appreciate the illustration of the wave. You guys probably know when, you know, part of why we cheer so loud at sporting events when something extraordinary happens, which I've done more than once, cheering basketball, um, uh, the Denny and Arnson family had a chance to play in the state tournament, Sacred Heart. They lost their first game, unfortunately, but won their next two and got to win the fifth place game, which was awesome. And the reason, I mean, I stood up and cheered several times throughout that. They hit a three-pointer and a different version of Patrick comes out than you see here in the morning, <laughs> or a nice block or a great assist or something like that. There's a reason why we cheer, because what we're really cheering at is a glorious expression of how God designed the human body to do something that not every human body can do, and it's worth cheering. In particular, if we recognize that God was the creator of bodies who could do such things and amaze us with the way that they could do it. Glory is sort of like shining the spotlight on something. I like to think about it that way. It focuses the attention on something. If you think of, we're not in a dark sanctuary or auditorium this morning, but if it's really dark and spotlight shines, like if you go to the Chester Fritz Auditorium, you can't really even see anything just about unless what the light is shining on. God's glory is sort of like the spotlight is on him. And when we surrender our lives to him, that's one way that we can shine the spotlight on him. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I, uh, what gives you a sense of power? I ran across this meme a couple of weeks ago. What gives you a sense of power? Is it money? Is it status? Or is it when somebody really likes something that you cook? Can you put that up there? When you cook a meal and somebody raves about it, you feel a little more powerful, like I do. I brought on that praise. Um, For yours is the power, really recalls, for yours is the power to give us this daily bread. For yours is the power to forgive us our sins. For yours is the power to deliver us from evil. It's God's power. Tom gave a great message last week. Let me ask you, Men and women who are moms and dads, if you had at your disposal millions and billions of powerful angelic beings to help your children out, what would you do with them? You would, you would surround each one of them. You would protect. You would send them out to watch over just like the Father in Heaven does to help people find And follow Jesus and to protect those who follow Jesus from the evil one's attacks. You and I have a good daddy in heaven. He's got a lot of power at his disposal. And he uses it on our behalf. It's glorious. And God is powerful in all things that he is. He's powerful in his ability to protect. He's also powerful in his love, his mercy, and grace. When I was... Similarly, I think first introduced to this idea of Romans 12.1, offering my life as a sacrifice, I was at a fall retreat, and I clearly remember the, the speaker saying something like this. When you need God's grace or mercy, it's sort of like your cup is empty, 
and you need more of what he has to offer. And his grace isn't like my gutter out my kitchen window, which has been dripping for like two months right now, just drip, drip, drip. It's a little bit of a leak. It's not even really like the kitchen faucet. Now, I've, I've been to Niagara Falls. I hope to bring my family there someday. I probably wouldn't have been there except my mom grew up around there. So I've been there as a kid. But God's grace and mercy and love is really like putting your cup under Niagara Falls. And let me tell you, that's powerful. You hear it miles before you see it. God's power is, the, is God's power in all things. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And I think we're brought to this question, do I love to live for God's glory? Or do I get excited, more excited even, about me getting the attention or me succeeding or me getting what I want. I think this is true. I want to read you a quote from a book by Paul Tripp called Do You Believe? And here it is. Only God's glory can satisfy the glory hunger in our hearts. The reason why you stand up and cheer is you want to participate in that glory. There's a part of us that wants to be a part of it. But only God's glory can satisfy the hunger that we feel. Inside every one of us is a glory hunger. There is a way in which everything we think, desire, choose, do, and say is done on a quest for glory. We all want what is glorious in our lives. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a God-designed thing. But this hunger will never be satisfied by creative things, created things. The purpose of creation is not to satisfy our hearts, but to point us the glory of the one who can satiate or satisfy our hunger. And in satisfying our hunger, give peace and rest to our hearts. Guys, we're all hungry for glory, and it can only be satisfied with God's glory. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Forever. So do you guys know where my Lakeville soccer tournament is right now? It is about eight miles west and two miles north in the Grand Forks landfill. And I have the memory, and I could probably dig up the symbol. It's plastic, so it's probably still there somewhere. God's glory is forever and ever and ever and ever. And so when I live for my glory, it's really like living for a trophy that will end up in a landfill somewhere. No matter what the trophy says on it, whatever you might say you might want, it's going to end up in a landfill somewhere. God's glory lasts forever. So that's the choice we have. Will we live with God as our king, with God as our source of power, with God as our source of glory, the owner of all glory? That's our choice. You know, we're going to celebrate communion here. And this is glory. It's like participating in glory. That Jesus offered himself for people like us so that we could live forever in the glory of God. Unbelievable. The bread that recognizes, resembles his broken body, the, the juice that resembles his, his blood that he shed for us. There's glory in his willingness to die for us. There's glory in his resurrection, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks on Easter. And in effect, what we're saying when we participate here, as we'll do in a minute, 
And you don't have to be a member at Cottonwood. You just have to be a follower of Jesus to participate in communion. Is you're, we're saying to him, I bow to you, King Jesus. Yours is the kingdom. This is how I enter in. Yours is the power. I can't forgive myself. And yours is the glory forever and ever. And that's what we're saying when we participate here in communion. Uh, I'm going to pray here, and then I'll dismiss you by rows. You can come on up here and help yourself. There's a couple tables on each side. If one line is longer, just go to the next table. And then I'll come back up, and we'll say the Lord's Prayer together, and then we're going to sing a song uh, in response to God's glory. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thanks for who you are. You are beautiful, like we're not. You are glorious, like you're not. We're not. You have control like we don't. You have power like we don't. And you have glory like we don't. Thanks for giving us this remembrance, Jesus, that we can remember who the author is of all of those. Thank you for offering yourself as a substitute for us so that we could be a part of your forever kingdom. We remember you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.